Hi, I'm Dylan. I'm Steve. And I'm Tan. And we are nervous. <laughs> <laughs> So Tan, that was our that was our great plan was to see how you would react if we if we did the intro that way, and you did you did a fantastic job. I'll go along with it. <laughs> I can play along. Oh man! So Tan, thanks for coming on the show. Um, we're excited to have you on our second episode. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so Tan, tell us a little bit about not don't get too far into NFTs because that's going to come up in a little bit. But tell us a little bit about yourself so people know who you are aside from you know, one of my good friends that I met because of NFTs. I met Dylan at work at Vayner NFT, now Vayner 3. Um, by the way, my opinions don't reflect Vayner 3. They're my own. I uh, just have to say that. But uh, cur- currently, I'm an associate creative director, so I work on the creative team on Vayner 3. Just help uh, brands stay relevant with Web3 tech. Um, but prior to that, did a lot of video work, uh, worked for Gary V. And then uh, now I'm just in Portland, enjoying beer, enjoying coffee, hanging out, taking it easy. Uh, moved away from New York a couple months ago. So that's a little bit about me. Well, cool. So Tan, a couple of questions we wanted to ask, and we're trying to ask more people this than just you, but it depends on your answer. If your answer is shitty, we probably won't ask anybody else. But Just cut it out. Just delete this episode. Yeah, just this section. We're going to go to ep- straight to episode three. Episode <laughs> two will be the lost episode. It'll be on the extended edition DVD of our life. Um, so what brought you into NFTs? Like, how did you get into NFTs in Web3? Yeah, I bought ETH in 2017. I was traveling that entire year, but I was in Argentina. And, uh, if you ever visited Argentina, every Sunday people line up for, um, to go to the ATMs to pull out cash because usually by Monday or Tuesday, it'll run out of cash. So, get the fuck out of here. Seriously? Yeah. So from the crypto side and buying ETH in 2017, I kind of understood what people always talk about with crypto, which is like the decentralized part and then hedging it against like centralization um, from the most abstract level. But that's personally like how I got into it. I didn't, I, I heard about CryptoKitties. I didn't go that deep into NFTs and CryptoPunks at that time. And there was like a bull run and then I just held and it crashed. But uh, I joined Team Gary V, and Gary texted the the team like, "Get educated on NFTs," and it was right before he was launching V Friends, and that's how I like I got reintroduced into it. I already had ETH set up, I had my wallet set up, and it was just a matter of playing. Um, so that I started buying uh, around like 2021, so like that beginning of that bull run. Um, but that's how I got into it again. So how'd you get your ape? How did I get my ape? It's yeah. transparent, right? I spent 50 ETH on it. Uh, yeah. And I I got lucky. I, I worked at a Israeli startup. It went public. I took that money and then I uh, funneled to ETH and I bought the ape, which technically nice. it's paid back in ape coins. So Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's so fascinating for me, though, because when the apes were launched, 
my brother and I were hanging out talking about NFTs. I just started really getting into it. And a friend, Sean Bonner, told Harper and I to go buy apes. Like it was on, That's on awesome. she's like, you guys should buy apes. We didn't fucking buy apes. I had no, I had no liquid ETH, so I couldn't just do it. I had just quit my job and was trying to do this new crazy thing. So I couldn't be like, honey, I need to spend a hundred dollars on a cartoon monkey for reasons. And then Harper was just like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't like the art, whatever. And then like a month later, we're both like, we're so fucking dumb. We are so dumb. And it's one of those things where like, I don't have a lot of regrets in my time in Web3, but that's one of those times where I'm like, it was like, it would have been like, I think it was like 79 bucks at Mint. And like, if I would have bought like one, I would have been like, cool, I'm good. But instead I'm like, well, that's nice. Enjoy your fucking ape, you dicks. So yeah, no, it's it definitely funny. Like, so now- now, whenever Sean tells me to buy something, I still don't buy it because I'm lazy, but I'm, I'm a little bit more like, I hope I didn't just fuck myself again. Damn, Dylan. That's I okay. It, it could have gone multiple ways. I feel what? like uh, you guys strike at the right time and place to build out their ecosystem. Yeah, I think, I think they definitely struck at the right time to build something that no one expected, I think, including them. Right. You know, and I think that's what's so interesting. And, and because of them, so many people entered the space thinking they were going to be able to get rich. Well, right. it, one of the interesting things for me, like looking at the the whole phenomenon of Yuga is that like those guys didn't have a fucking plan, you know, and and in the space right now, nearly every project, their plan is we're going to be the next Yuga Labs. And the, the problem is, is that the, these people do not have the vision, the intelligence, or the fucking wherewithal of Yuga. They just don't have it. Like, there's an awful lot of things that you sort of need in succession to become successful in this world. One of them is luck. One of them is timing. And one of them is just being fucking interesting, intelligent, amazing person. And you've got all these projects run by, like, just boring dipshits you know so it's one of those things where i'm like yeah of course this is all gonna go to zero look at the people in charge well i know that when after apes happened and then we did atom bomb squad and that sold out so fast i was getting calls from people and i was on probably four calls two or three days after abs dropped people being like yeah we're gonna be the next apes but cooler and i'd be like well what does that mean and they're like you know like the art's going to be better and all this stuff. I'm like, that's not why it was successful. It was successful because it was at the perfect time and place. Like it had nothing to do with the artwork. They had a roadmap. Roadmaps are their fault. But <laughs> it was still like this thing where it was like, they started this as like almost a joke. Like, hey, I drew these fucking cartoon monkeys. We should make NFTs. Fucking done. You know, magic happens. I love it. Yeah. Also makes me mad, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, I- I think Steve is right. I think Yuga did really well improving with their community. They they struck at the right time, you know, that April period. They inherited a large community relatively in the ETH space at that time. But even like with Kennel and, and all the next drops and bringing value back to the holder at the right time before that became like yeah. a, a tactic, I felt like they improv very well with their existing holders and they yeah, kept I- expanding out of it. When I think the thing they did too, which a lot of communities and NFT projects still fail to do, is they've held like their core holders, the core ape holders are the most important holders. So if you hold an ape, you're more important than someone who holds a dog or just has some land or has ape coin. And so they're always rewarding from the top down. And I think 
it's almost trickle down economics. <laughs> people at top get stuff and it slowly gets down to the rest of us poor people. Um, <laughs> but I think that's the thing is that it, because they've done that, people who have apes are super loyal. Right. You know, and so they're going to participate in what they're doing. They're going to talk about it with people. And that's, that's something that they've done such a good job of. So many other projects, in order to get more people, they just try to release more products without thinking about how it's going to affect the original holders. The question is, we're still young in the space, right? The question is, like, how long can they hold on to this? Even right. that recent stat with um, what's called Dookie Dash, it expanded their ecosystem by 40%, mm-hmm. which is significant. And if you look at, you know, ApeCoin being, like, the easiest way to enter and then Dookie Dash, other side, it's kind of insane how um, they're doing both now in terms of rewarding OG holders, but also expanding their ecosystem. Yeah. And now it's written off brand. Like if they can hold their brand and yeah. be that supreme. Yeah. Well, I think they're in that lucky spot where they're such an early, early person, early company in this space that they are helping kind of write the map on what either brands can do or other bigger collections can do because so many bigger collections or older collections have gotten stagnant and Yuga's had this nice drip feed of new features that have happened. Totally. Well, all right. So Steve, Dylan, you all have ran like projects, launched successful projects and so on. If you inherited the Yuga ecosystem and you like Elon Musk at like Twitter, (laughs) what are you doing in the next 12 to 24 months with it? Because gaming is the direction right now, right? But you can pivot that. So by Elon Musk, it, do you mean like run it into the fucking ground and then cry about it on Twitter or do you no, mean like go, go crazy like, just, with it? Just bought it. Like we bought just it, bought Yuga Labs. It. Bought it. Do the first thing I'm going to do is get myself a punk. <laughs> <laughs> that's Straight it. From the treasury. Like, that's, yeah. that's just. Yeah. Where does, where does embezzling fall on? <laughs> no. um, I think if I, if I had like the reins of Yuga Labs for 12 months, not knowing really anything about what they already have on the pipeline is I would spend time trying to do callbacks to some of their other smaller things, you know, like the kennel club and even like the other side to where like the gaming part of it is taking place within like the other side, even if it's not the same, you know, it doesn't have to be like in the metaverse, all of that stuff, but just has to be kind of inclusive of. So if you have an other deed, you can, you know, game on your land kind of thing to make it so it becomes this more it's kind of like how disney disney has what five different lands disney four different lands you were there last steve is it four or five um well they've got magic kingdom they've got epcot they've got oh no no i'm talking within just disneyland like the disney park so there's oh future yeah western um new orleans usually for some reason i don't Um, know but they have like four or five lands within the one park and each of those areas does its own thing very well, but it's also tied directly to the other thing. So, you know, like apes are like the, the I'm rich and it's tied to everything, but then you have like the other deeds, which people don't have to own any other Yuga product in order to have their other deed. And ApeCoin is the same way, but make it so everything's just a little bit more like to use a term that I hate a fucking flywheel. Um, to get people to interact with more parts of the Yuga experience. And then I'd also find an easy way to onboard people at the very beginning. Like the gaming is like the best way to do that because we're all trained to game, even us 40 year old men. 
What about you, Steve? I mean, here's the thing is, is I'm not in their ecosystem. So for me, like my first order of business would be to just spend a lot of time listening, you know, <laughs> like just yeah. spend a lot of time, like talking to people and listening and trying to really get a bead on, try and really get a bead on who's there already. You know what I mean? I feel like one of the mistakes that a lot of projects do is when they're trying to onboard shit ton of new people, but they don't even really understand their current customer base yet. So I would, you know, before I go fucking around with, you know, me and my brilliant ideas that I want to like start smearing my thumbprints all over everything, like I want to make sure that I fully understand the people that are there already, the existing customer base, and make sure that I'm I'm in a position to meet those needs first before I start trying to be clever on top of it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Be, be responsible. I mean, that's me. Well, that's why, you know, you're the idea guy and I'm the spreadsheet <laughs> guy. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. What about you, Tan? What would you do? Well, I don't know. That's that's the question I, I'm posing here. Um, like, what is their North Star? Is it? I think the gaming route is is a window into what they want to do, which is like world build and build a, the biggest brand through mm-hmm. like this emerging tech. But um, I think currently what they do really well is switching between digital and IRL with 8Fest to, to bring the brand into real life. But the question is, how long can they keep doing like first mover advantage tactics? Yeah. Until they fully build out like their own ecosystem. And I, I, th- I like what Steve said. I think at the end of the day, like what we've learned from Web3 is you build a community first and you build a product for that community, which mm-hmm. you guys done really well. I think exciting things that they could do is um, start buying existing like tech companies oh that would be amazing yeah because i i do think they have what it takes to build their own like so to speak disneyland but Mm -hmm. for but for whom is their demographic too old you know it would be interesting if yuga started doing a lot of like heavy investments in like not just like web3 tech but also traditional tech and started kind of creating this brand that almost became like synonymous with web three, you know, it was like the Kleenex of web three where everybody just knew ape and that's how they did it. But they were also had their fingers in, you know, tech startups everywhere, you know, like Yuga lab buys Instagram from Facebook, you know, like that kind of shit would be like, what just happened? Okay. Yeah. I think it it validates them way more because right now they're heading towards gaming. Right. And that's like Mm -hmm. their main biggest indicator but they're also playing with new tech they it's oddly yuga labs have uh played out what i feel like larva labs always wanted to do because they have way more of a a treasure chest of money yeah they have a war chest for sure right and i think they and one thing i think they did a really good job of and i i would love to find out who on their team is the listener who spent all their time just hanging out on discords and Twitter and just absorbing all that information to be like, we should go now because every single thing they've done has been like at that perfect strike moment versus a lot of people are like, Oh, we're going to do this. Like goblin town was a great example of somebody who they came in at the right moment, did a free mint. There was for the lols, And then they did goblin burger, which was also for the lols. Um, but very few collections have had that kind of luck where they've just keep hitting. It's like 
Yuga Labs is the Pixar of NFTs. Yeah. Like, not everything has been critically acclaimed, but nothing has been a flop. Which is insane. It's insane. Like I, I love the fact that they've been able to do that. And it makes me angry that I didn't buy one stupid Dylan. <laughs> I Although, really like I really enjoy listening to Wiley talk about, yeah. you know, every aspect of things. And it's it's one of those things that like I like my initial kind of introduction to to Board Ape was uh, douchebags flaunting them. You know what I mean? Like it was not, it wasn't positive at all. It was very much um, people in the space who felt like minting a valuable PFP made them somehow smarter than everybody else. And they, they sort of treated that instead of treating their luck as, as what it was, which is luck, you know, right place, right time. Like it was just luck instead of just being cool about it. Like, "Ah, I got fucking lucky. That's great. And now I'm here and it's cool. Like they tried to, you know, cosplay as intelligent people um (laughs) and and the result was that like it was i mean it really turned me off like hugely you know i was like i mean can you pop that fucking collar any higher bro like just stop it's just awful so my first intro to to the whole yuga labs ecosystem was like i don't want to fucking hang out with these people and then once I once they doxed themselves and I started hearing Wiley do these podcasts and stuff and hearing him talk, I'm like, I want to go and have a beer and a fucking taco with that guy. Like it was one yeah. of those things like it was a huge turning point for me because I realized that like he's one of us, you know, right. he is one of those salty old punk rock guys who just enjoys building shit. And and that to me was like my turning point with Board Ape. And so for me, like that's that's the appeal of the entire thing for me is knowing that there's like a couple of salty old Miami punks in the back that are like, I don't know, dude, like fucking roller coasters. I don't know. What should we do? Like, what should we do next? You know, I don't know. Can we donate some money to Jane Goodall so I can meet her? That would be fucking dope. You know, like that to me is is the appeal of it, because I understand better the motivations and the. Um, the style of the people behind it. So totally. What would you ask Wiley if you could have a beer with him? Oh man. First I'd want to get his recommendations for like best Cuban places in Miami. (laughs) Growing up in Florida. Like I, I mean, I live in Ohio now. I miss having good Cuban food at the ready all the time. So I mean, that would be first thing I'm like, dude, I need sandwiches. I need con leche. Like, let's go, let's go do this. Um, second, like, honestly, I would just want to sit and talk to the dude about music and, you know, growing up a punk rock kid in Florida, you know, I feel like on that level, um, there's an awful lot that you get to know about somebody and their motivations by understanding where they came from. And to me, like, I'm here to make connections with people, you know, I'm here to make connections with people who want to do things like what I want to do, not the same things. But like people who want to build and people who want to experiment and people who want to create and people who want to support creators like right. that's that for me is is everything. So, you know, having the opportunity to like hang out and bond with somebody who I feel is like kind of like a, a kindred sort of spirit in this place like that. That's all I would want to do. Like I wouldn't expect or demand any more of him than that. Yeah, totally. Also, if you had any apes lying around like. I mean, just take some apes from. And I heard, well, I, I heard him saying on a podcast that like they don't even have any. 
Like they, they, he's like, yeah, I've got one that I had to buy because we didn't save any for ourselves. Yeah. That's not surprising that at that period during a lot of NFT projects, like creators weren't thinking, oh, this could become a thing. They were like, I just want to sell these, get my art out there, you know, get some money, that sort of thing. And then when they sell out, they're like, well, shit, I got to go buy my own damn shit. Fuck. That's crazy though. So Tan, to you, you gave us, you gave us a challenge there. What is your ideal NFT project? Like if you were going to design an NFT project, what would you want it to be? (laughs) I want a real business behind it. So for what I mean by that is, uh, I, on the lines of what we're talking about with Yuga Labs and all that. And I love that Steve really talked about like founders and their ethos. Cause I think like culturally where they come from will influence how they push the current tech. Right. I think uh, with all the FUD with even like Yuga Moonbirds recently and, and all that, I think um, I'm curious if there's a way to build like an ecosystem with all like merch entertainment and all that for like NFT holders, but charge and make it free for the holders for life, whoever holds it, but charge people who want to participate in it outside of there to generate like revenue. So basically create a brand, direct to consumer, and then uh, charge people who aren't in the NFT space if they do want to participate in like the IRL aspects of it, but really reinvest that money into like what Steve talked about the most, which is like the tech side of it. And I think what Moonbirds is doing that's interesting is it's a tech company first and foremost, before an NFT company. So I'm really curious about that side of it. Um, but yeah, I think the answer is I don't know, Dylan. But the components would be obviously like IP um, and also like figuring out how to like really extra reward the the scarce like original holders. So how do you feel about projects that launch uh, an NFT collection and then try to build a business off of it versus businesses that launch an NFT collection as a way to build a community around their existing business? Like something like Deadfellas versus ABS. Yeah. Well, ABS, it's in their identity to reinvent themselves, right? So it's amazing that they've always uh, put brand first and then, you know, then they happen to be like a t-shirt company. They've, they've always been like a media company first and then they happen to be X, Y, and Z. So I think ABS like did a great job adapting and I think they always will uh, considering like Bobby and, and the team. I think uh, I'm always bullish on uh, the native people and new new uh, new tech. If you look at like Uber, Uber couldn't exist without um, iPhone and Android being dominant uh, on top of like GPS with Google Maps and, and so on. So it was like a, a native mobile experience app that just ran with it. Um, obviously, there were like legal challenges. I'm always bullish for natives because they don't see the friction of reinventing themselves and getting pleasing like their old community and then pleasing the new community. Um, I think there's a lot of friction and baggage there. I think that's why Yuga Labs is really, really successful. I think that's why Larva Labs was able to like really spark the 10,000 number, which was enough online people to hang out and create that what we call community all of that was unknown they were like venturing the dark but i think like the the natives will define the space the most and i think that's why um that's why i think the proofs community is the most interesting because yes uh, kevin rose has he's from the vc world with google ventures and all that and he's launched dig and all that but he's like 
taken that experience, cut it clean and started his own thing. Um, which I think you get the best of both worlds of what the two uh, scenarios that you outlined, Steve. I think that's the interesting part, but I still think like the the natives will win the best. Yeah, I think I think I agree with that. I think it is an interesting thing where we have people who are like the traditional tech people who have a hard time adjusting to the world of Web three, where you know everything changes every day, um, everything is made up, and the points don't matter. And we're still trying to figure out like what the points are. And so many people, especially in old tech, have this feeling of they know how things are supposed to be done. And they're running headlong into people who maybe have never worked in tech before or have never worked in that kind of an environment who are like, well, that's that's not how we do it. We do it this way. And it works. And the old tech people are like, wait, what? You can't do? No, what? You know, and so it's that kind of like trade and attitudes that I think is, is going to be interesting to see the people who have no idea why they shouldn't be doing something a certain way versus the people who know how to do it right. And then which one is able to create the new norm, which I think is where we're at right now. Well, you look at the marketplaces, right? With Blur, OpenSea, back then looks rare. You can fork features like that because everything's on the blockchain. I think the part that people haven't wrapped their head around because it's not tangible yet is Yuga's ecosystem is a good example. It's a community that ties all the wallets together and it's, Mm -hmm. there's no tech behind that. You can't fork that. Um, You can FUD it, you can sue it, the company and all that. But until I think, I think I'm, I'm really excited to see a gigantic Yuga Labs competitor. Right. For the for someone to come in and be like like someone to come in directly to compete with Yuga Labs, not none of this, and they're gonna have to have so such a war chest to come in and be able to just throw their weight around enough to get it to where they're an actual competitor. It's it's kind of the it's gonna be interesting to see if Yuga can hold on when someone comes at them like that, or if they become like the Friendster in MySpace where they have like hardcore followers until they die, and then maybe they come back again. Um, but yeah, it'll be yeah. interesting. That'll be, that'll be fun. It'll be Disney. Yeah. I mean, it would have to be, I mean, because realistically, like it doesn't matter. I mean, the, the war chest, like from a logistical standpoint, yeah. Okay. That's going to matter. But mostly like who's going to come at Yuga with enough style and charisma to be able to engage people's imaginations the way that they have. Right. Like, that's going to be a much harder get. Like there's any number of companies out in the world that have enough money to fuck Yuga's day up. You know what I mean? But like, there's not a whole lot of like legitimately creative, interesting, engaging people who are willing to like sit in discord and do the work to build that community. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, that's where Yuga has a massive head start, money aside. But Disney, if you're listening, call us. Because we will definitely help you do NFTs. Do it. I highly recommend it. Bob and just like, just like last episode when I told someone to call us, we don't actually have a phone. So you'll have to <laughs> probably hit us up on Twitter or something. I don't know. Um, no, I do think it is interesting. And I think the thing that the reason I think Disney would be the people who could actually provide decent competition for any of the big NFT projects is that they have worldwide brand awareness across all ages. So it's not like, you know, Yuga, their demographic is skewed, what, like probably late 20s to early 40s with some young bucks in there, you know, whereas like Disney is like three 
to a hundred, <laughs> you know? And right. so there's a lot more income in that 97 year span than there is in that 20 year span. So I think it'll be interesting to see if, if Disney ever decides to do that. I doubt they will because web three is not necessarily family friendly, but they own enough companies, enough properties that don't necessarily fit under that umbrella anyway, that they could probably be fine. But I think they would be the one to do it. And I would love if they did it stealth mode, like, just a project launched with like Supreme marketing and like that sort of thing. And then it came out that it was Disney all along. Right. Do you think we're too early to ask the scaling question of like a big brand entering and scaling it out though? Like until we talk about like the tech rates until like wallet integration through like, you know, token proof, like uh, token gated sites, like when that gets bigger and bigger and bigger, where, you know, Dylan, Steve, and Tan sees the internet differently because we can walk down different alleyways, both digitally and virtually and, and, and IRL. That's when a brand can really enter and do meaningful damage. Because I think we're still early with the tech. The tech is still emerging. There's still, like, a lot of things that need to add up before NFTs can really plug in, too. Yeah, I mean the tech is garbage. Like, let's be super honest here. Like, it is it is all duct taped together and held together with hopes and dreams. Like, I mean the you know Dylan and I have been talking about this a lot, and one of the things that that Nervous is working on is we're trying to figure out like how how do you put together a pretty easy to implement loyalty program using right. NFTs as the base tech layer, and the the first hurdle we've already hit is that wallets suck they're (laughs) terrible they're absolutely terrible and getting somebody to set up a wallet is needlessly difficult and all of the options to you know do like wallets by you know email everything it's like okay so you've got to sign up for the enterprise plan and you've got to you know pay ten thousand dollars a month in order for them to you know do this massive blast so there's no like there is no punk rock way to do this. Like you either have to do it at enterprise scale with enterprise budget, or, you know, you're kind of sitting back like us and just like, well, what does this mean for like, what does this mean for a band? Like a band wants to issue uh, a token for their out. Like, like let's say that, you know, rent like hot water music, right? Gainesville bands, you know, decent size following, but certainly not like a household name. Hot water music wants to release a, a, a deluxe digital version of their album and it's, you know, downloads and like, you know, a bunch of demos and stuff and also comes with a token for that album. And then they want a token gate, like a whole bunch of like bonus material specific to that album, just for that album, just with that release. Like, how do they do it? It is fucking impossible for a mid-level band to be able to actually implement all of that stuff without paying more money than they're going to make off the release of the album to hire a company like us who are not even on the high end of this shit to sit down and custom build all of this infrastructure out. Like the technology doesn't fucking exist for average people to just build on it yet. So until we, until we hit that point, until we hit that kind of like that, that tipping point where like anybody legitimately, anybody can just go and use this tech and build on it then it's all just pie in the sky bullshit. Like we're all just sitting around crossing our fingers, you know, hoping that Starbucks is going to blow up the NFT space, bruh. Like, I mean, it's, it's just so, it's such bullshit right now. And it drives (laughs) me, it drives me insane. But 
we also love it and please hire us and <laughs> nfts are bullshit and steve's been drinking a lot of coffee and we gotta go no um I nfts do think- are great nfts are great <laughs> but here's the thing i legitimately love the technology and the possibilities there it's just that it's all still so so larval form right now that it's so fucking hard to navigate it's so hard to do anything and it's you know i'm like like it's hard for me to get my wife to sign into her wallet and and like log into perk shop to claim something and that is you know for those of us in web3 like logging into your wallet going to perk shop claiming something from bff like that is an incredibly easy like little two-step process right that is as simple as it gets getting her to do that is almost fucking impossible right so like for me like i you know i I sit and watch like these constant hurdles to just everyday people doing everyday shit with tokens and that's what we need that's where we need to be everyday people doing everyday shit that just happens to use tokens i think this is exciting though i think what steve is saying is like completely correct and i think that's where the opportunity lies for anyone in, in the space whether you're a builder creator artist or even like a consumer of it right you look at amazon when they first launched on the internet um there wasn't like cookie technology readily available to, you know, have the address there, have their name there, the shipping address, billing address, and so on. They had to patent uh, one click to buy. They had to really build out the things that we take for granted today to really like seamlessly purchase from an online site. And then people were skeptical of putting their credit card on there. So I think like that is a good state of the union compared to like where we're at here. You look at Reddit, Reddit is such a, a good example, and hopefully there's a decentralized version of it. But you know, not the wallet is abstracted away, but the main value point of like wallet interaction, which is like the activity behind it, if you can measure that, you can build loyalty or reward behaviors. And I think that's the exciting part about where we're at today and what we can really build out tomorrow. Who knows, like if it's 12 to 24 months or even like five years, but I think. I think it's a massive opportunity based on like what Steve is outlining as a state of the union. Yeah, I think I think this is all this is all very true. I think the the hardest thing too is because this is new technology, it's gonna take someone not native to the technology to bring it to the forefront and like force that adoption, like Amazon did with online purchases. You know, right. we need it like we really do need someone, some either it has to be a, a big enough company that people know who it is and care, but it can't be so big that they ruin it for everyone. Because that's that's the fine line. Is that like if Amazon would have come along and been put together by like Barnes and Noble or another big bookseller at the time and then fucked it up, right? Amazon would not have been successful. Online shopping may not have been as successful. So we need someone who to come along and say, "Hey, like fucking AMC theaters." Fucking, we're doing NFT movie tickets. And if they did that, that would get enough adoption and it would force many theaters to do it and people would get the idea. And it's like, oh, and you can also use your AMC crypto wallet to, you know, buy this at this store, you know, or whatever. And it's something like that that needs to happen to get the adoption to happen in a normal setting. Because right. that's, that's so many of these things and like stuff we worked on at V3TAN were so niche and not normal settings that it became really hard to figure out how you're going to get normal people who have not experienced this to do it. Like you were saying, Steve, with the perk shop, like it's easy for us because we do it all the time, but someone who 
is crypto adjacent is going to be like, I don't know. All right, Tan. So we had one more question. Steve's going to lead off with it. I'm ready for it. So you told us about how you got into Web3. Now here is our closing question for you. Why are you still here? Uh, it's, it's simple. I mean, you've seen it in early Web2 days. Whenever there's a fast-growing tech, it's just exciting. The people it brings. Um, you both are in you know, NFSC, Non-Fungible Social Club. And it's just a fun community. People are chatting every single day. And although I can't always keep up with Discord, I think like inherently people are more optimistic whenever uh, a piece of tech can really offer at least potential. And I think that's the most exciting part from the top level. Why am I still in it? Uh, maybe it's sunk cost. I bought a bunch of NFTs. I'm in it. <laughs> but no, I, I, I'm enjoying it still. And it's and even if like people get NFT fatigued, you can take a break from it. But I'm still enjoying it. Why are you both still in it? Building too, more, more skin in the game than me. I mean, I, I I think you know you you said optimistic, and and I think for as much of a, a pessimist as I am, like I am really truly optimistic about it. Like I really do. Yeah. You know, I'm very critical and I'm very quick to get angry, honestly, about a lot of what I see as like bullshit in the space and a lot of just the the rampant greed and everything. Because for me, I see a technology layer that could become another great equalizer. You know, I, I see in the same way that the Internet was, you know, all of a sudden you have this tech stack where as soon as we can start to make this available to more people to use in a low-key, everyday, useful kind of way, I think it's going to dramatically help an awful lot of people and an awful lot of creatives. So for me, that's why I'm still here. I, I want to bring this technology to people in a meaningful, everyday way where you know this is no longer speculative assets gone amok, but just everyday tooling to make life better. Amen. Same. No, um, I think for me, the reason I'm still here is a lot of the reason that I got into NFTs, I feel a little bit like this is my like Tron, like I fight for the user. I feel like so much for me with like around NFTs and Web3 is making sure that people who are creating content or creating art or creating anything are getting paid for the work that they're doing and not paid in a here's $5, but paid in a here's $5 and then here's another dollar and now here's $10,000 and like as your, you know, renown grows, you start to receive more income based on the work you did instead of it being the kind of current way I feel like a lot of the artistic work works where it's, you know, there's the kings and there's the serfs, you know, and the kings make all the money and the serfs do all the work. You know, I think I would much rather it be a little bit more of a, you get paid for the work you're doing. And if your work is successful, you continue to get paid for that work. And I think that's, that to me is why I got started in NFTs was because of the way it's made to support artists. And I think for me, that's where like my focus tends to be is like, how, how does this new part of this technology benefit the artists and the people creating versus the people who are speculating? Right. I'm excited to see all of this compound as in like when artists get paid better, when you can measure trust better because you have a wallet and you can see like who's supporting who. Yeah. I'm excited to see what kind of behavior hits at scale. Cause I think uh, social media sites will look completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what you do, not what you say. 
and I agree with Steve, like, and it's great that we have people like Steve and and you should be critical of the tech because otherwise like Facebook meta became an accidental government through moderating, you know? And I think like you should be critical as we're building this. You should have ethics as we're building this. Uh, You should tear it apart. But I agree with you. I think like the potential outweighs everything. And I think that's the most exciting part. And because we're all willing to try and fail and, and get our hands dirty, like the people you meet is is going to be the most like interesting and fun right now at this given time. It will change when there's more and more people here. Yeah. And I do think that's actually another thing you just touched on a little bit that I think is one reason why we're all here is it is the people, you know, like this is not a technology currently that is made by the technology. It's a technology that is about people and focused on community. And so we're all fairly social people who like people. So it makes sense that we all kind of hang out in this weird spot. Emphasis on fairly, right? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say, and I meant to say this earlier, is um, none of this is financial or legal advice. Good call. Um, don't listen so, to us. Yeah, don't for listen to us. For entertainment purposes. Yeah, this is for entertainment purposes only and because we like to talk about this shit. Um, well, cool. Well, Tan, thanks so much for coming by and hanging out with us. Thanks for having like me. like we're in the same room. But, no, uh... <laughs> it's exciting. Um, and I'm excited to see you both build out Nervous. I think uh, you all are going to important players in the ecosystem so i'm excited to see what you all bring to to the table as you build out your your product i don't want to be important i just want to be awesome there you go (laughs) we gotta end on that 